Last Sunday, we started uh, going through the portion in Colossians as Paul uh, talks about uh, the many people who helped him in the ministry. And we last Sunday looked at two of Paul's partners in the Lord's work. We saw Tychicus, who was, remember, the faithful man in verses 8 and uh, verse 7 and 8, I'm sorry. Um, and Tychicus, he was a faithful man who Paul appreciated his friendship and fellowship and uh, his fellowship or faithfulness so much so that he trusted him to hand deliver the letters of Ephesians and Colossians to the churches of Ephesus and Colossae respectively. And then we looked at in verse number nine, uh, this man named Onesimus, he was the fugitive man. The runaway slave who got saved and then uh, had a brand new purpose in life, and even as a brand new believer, jumped right into the ministry and got involved in the work of God. Again, so much so that uh, Paul wanted him to stay and, and uh, minister to him, and we find that in the book of Philemon. Uh, but then Onesimus was also trusted to help carry the letter of Colossians to Colossae, but he also hand-delivered the letter to Philemon uh, asking for the reconciliation process. So that's what we looked at last Sunday. Now we come to these three other men uh, that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, three more men who were instrumental in the work of the Lord there in the first century. These men stood up and helped for such a time as this. Once again, as we look at these three individuals, uh, know that while they may not have the biggest name in scriptures, I mean, you know, we're, we're familiar with guys like David and, and in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter and, and James and, and the Apostle John and some of these uh, apostles that, that God used in a great way. But there was, there was a whole host of others who were instrumental um, in, in, in a very big way. And a remember and a reminder for all of us that little is much when God is in it. And so you may not have the biggest names here on this earth either. I mean, very few people know the name Eric Johnson. In fact, it's such a common name that uh, uh, whenever I have a background check, it takes twice as long because there's so many Eric Johnsons out there. And then um, not only am I kind of have an ordinary name, I also have an ordinary face. Uh, there's, there's another uh, brother here in Oklahoma that looks very similar to me. And uh, people say that I look very similar to him, but I always say, no, no, no he looks similar to me. Uh, big difference. Uh, Brother Gaddis, he's the pastor over at um, Southwest Baptist Church, and he and I have become good friends since uh, us getting here, and, and uh, we do look very similar. In fact, there is a picture I should have shown on the screen at this point, uh, but uh, that it is just uncanny how close we look. And one day we showed up at a preacher's meeting wearing virtually the same thing, and it is like wowzer. Uh, we are twin. We were twinning and winning. Um, so I mean, I have a pretty ordinary name, and I guess an ordinary face as well. But that doesn't mean that God can't use us in a big way. And again, you may not think that your role is all that important here at our church, but uh, let me just. Uh, but but let the mention of these men and uh, their lives and the part that they played encourage you and, and change your thinking tonight that, hey, you may not have the biggest role here, but your role is still very, very important here at Cornerstone Baptist Church and in the work of God. 
So your role, no matter how big or small it may be, is still very significant in God's eyes. Now with this in mind, let's dive in and consider three more of Paul's partners. First, we're going to look at verse number 10 here. This man by the name of Aristarchus. Aristarchus. And he was the fearless man. Aristarchus was the fearless man. And we're going to do a very brief uh, Bible study on Aristarchus here. Um, and we are first introduced to this man all the way back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 19. And I'd like you to go ahead and turn over there with me. Acts chapter uh, 19. <clears throat> and then verse number 29. Actually, before we get to verse 29, that's where his name is mentioned first. But uh, we want to start in verse number uh, 21. It says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So he hung out in Ephesus. Okay? And then in uh, verse 23, And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. And that's uh, King James for there is, uh, there was a huge drama going on in Ephesus. And here's what that drama was all about. Verse 24, For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gate unto the craftsmen. So Demetrius, what, his, what he did for a job, he made silver shrines for the goddess Diana. And uh, he made bank doing this. I mean, he, it says here, he brought no small gain. In, in other words, he brought a large amount of money under the craftsmen through what he did. Okay, and then verse 25, he calls together with the workmen of like occupation, so other people who did something similar, and he, and he gathered them together and says, Sirs, you know that by this craft we have our wealth. Like, this is our livelihood. This is, this is where we get all of our money here. But then verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So Paul went around preaching the truth, and as a result, people stopped buying all these shrines and all these idols and all these trinkets made to these false gods. And as a result, their, uh, their sales went way down. I mean, their Etsy shops were like not producing anything um, for those who have uh, Etsy shops um, or things of that nature. Okay, so the, the, the idea here is that um, they, were, they were starting to feel it financially, and they were not happy. Okay, so verse 27 again, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So Demetrius appeals to their wallets, then he appeals to their worship, he says, you know, we all worship Diana, and, you know, she deserves all this worship, and, and, and now we're not giving her as much worship because Paul comes in and has ruined everything with his doctrine. Verse 28, when they heard these sayings, they were really excited to hear it. No, 
When they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And then verse 29 says, The whole city was filled with confusion. I mean, it was drama city, but then it was like all this wrath and all this yelling caused this chaos to go on in, in, in Ephesus. And it says here, And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. When Paul would have entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of, um, of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and for the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense of the people. And then here's, this is a crazy, uh, a, a crazy verse here, verse 34. When they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So literally, for a two-hour time period, they kept crying out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, I, I can understand that, you know, for a couple minutes, but for two hours, it would be like, Okay, this is uber annoying. Uh, but they were doing that, and it was just, it, it was a crazy scenario. And, and here we find Aristarchus, and he is caught up in this. Um, okay, well, so that, that all happened. And, and that was just probably pretty bonkers to go through all that. Well, then you go to Acts chapter 20, and then look in verse number 1. It says, After the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and given them much exhortation, he came to Greece and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And then notice here in verse number four, and there accompanied him into Asia, so Sopater of Berea and of the Thessalonians. Here's this guy's name again, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timotheus and of Asia, Tychius and um, uh, or Tychicus and Trophimus. So, in Acts chapter nineteen, Aristarchus is captured in this wild and crazy event that takes place in Ephesus. Acts chapter twenty, Paul's taking off, and guess who decides to go with him? Aristarchus. You, you would think that Aristarchus would go. You know. Paul, it's, it's been real, <laughs> and it's been fun, but I don't know that it's been real fun, because guess what ends up happening every time I travel with you? Something crazy happens, so you know what? You, you, you just go on ahead, and I'll pray for you. How about that? But instead, Aristarchus says, hey, I'm in. I'll travel with you again. And he was already the companion of travel in Acts chapter 19. He continues to be in chapter 20. And then again, uh, later in Acts chapter 27, we find him going on another trip with Paul from Caesarea to Rome. And by the way, that happened to be uh, where there is that shipwreck that we read about in Acts chapter 27. We won't go through and read that whole uh, scenario there uh, for sake of time, but um, he, he was willing to go, he was even willing then to go to prison for the Lord's sake. There, there's no indication that Aristarchus was put into prison like the Apostle Paul was 
as an official prisoner, um, as an official prisoner. I, I think, I really believe, as I was reading commentaries, that people believe that Aristarchus voluntarily put himself in prison in order to be a blessing to the Apostle Paul. Now, how many of you, uh, we have a sign-up sheet in the back table uh, to go to prison. How many of you will sign up on the way on the way out of church tonight? I guarantee there's probably not going to be a whole bunch of us that are going to sign up to go to prison for the Lord's sake just to hang out with somebody. But Aristarchus was willing to. Aristarchus was fearless. I mean, he was willing to go through all of this stuff. Um, he never declared with his words to our knowledge that he was willing to go to prison, but he declared it with his walk. And he, a little different than Peter this morning, remember we talked about Peter, how he declared with his words that he was willing to go to prison? And willing to do all these things for the Lord? Well, Aristarchus never declared it with his words, but he was willing to and, and declared it with his walk. And then we go back to Colossians chapter number 4, uh, back to our text here. Um, I just kind of wanted to show you that Aristarchus, he was, he was kind of the man. And he was somebody that Paul really appreciated uh, because of his fearlessness. And Paul mentions back in Colossians 4.10 that Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner and is in bonds with the Apostle Paul, I, I, I really believe, by choice. Not because he was forced to be, but because he chose to be. Um, pretty amazing. He was a fellow prisoner. That's what he says in verse number 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Okay, so Aristarchus was fearless. He didn't let fear stop him from doing the will of God for his life. Can I encourage you tonight to not let fear hinder you from accomplishing all that God wants you to accomplish in this life? To the young pastor named Timothy, Paul told him, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We're not to be driven and, and, and live by fear. Um, we saw a lot of that happening during COVID. When people were living by fear, fear of this disease, and, and to a point we didn't understand everything there was to know about this particular disease. And, um, but once we started to learn about it and you know, we also need to know that, hey, we are in God's hands. Okay, that's COVID, and most of, us are, most of us are a little bit beyond that now. But that doesn't mean there's other things that don't come into our lives that may cause us to get a little scared, to get a little nervous. Uh, the economy, the finances, um, the, uh, the future of... of you know, religious freedom here in America and all these things that we can look at and it, it could cause us uh, to have a spirit of fear, but that's not what God has given to us. And, and Aristarchus, he had a lot of things he could have been afraid of. He could have had, you know, spiritual PTSD because of what he experienced in Ephesus. I mean, man, that, that had to be a little nerve-wracking to be captured in that moment of chaos. But he chose to continue moving forward for the Lord's sake. I, I do want to remind us all about the work of the Lord, that it is sometimes difficult and, and even risky. It was said of Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 that they were men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, they literally put their lives on the line for the Lord's sake. 
And at least the Apostle Paul paid a tremendous price for serving the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 11, he details and, and gives a laundry list of some of the things that he experienced in the ministry. He said he experienced stripes of measure in prisons more, more frequent and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep, journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then, eventually, uh, the Apostle Paul paid the ultimate price as he was martyred in Rome by beheading. That's how he ended his life. And so he paid a tremendous price for the Lord's sake. The work of the Lord is not always easy and many times requires great sacrifice. And my, I guess my question is, where are the Aristarchuses of this day? I realize... Nobody here is named Aristarchus. But where are those who have the spirit of Aristarchus who say, you know what, it, I'm going to keep serving the Lord. It doesn't really matter. It, it, it doesn't matter if we're going to go on a ship. It doesn't matter if we're going to go here or there. Paul, I'm going to hang with you. I'm willing to even be in prison with you. Where are the fearless ones who are willing to serve the Lord regardless of the cost? Now, it may be that standing up for truth may eventually cost something in the not-too-distant future. For preaching the truth, for preaching just simply what the Bible says, can uh, potentially very soon be considered a hate crime. It, it very soon could come at a cost. It, it could very soon land me in prison. And I will tell you, one of, one of my biggest fears is going to prison. Because let's just say I'm not the biggest guy around, and uh, I may not be able to beat everybody up in prison. <laughs> so that, 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 whole, that whole part does scare me. I, I don't want to do that. But you know what? Aristarchus was saying, hey, it doesn't matter. You put me in prison, I'm fine. I'm going to stay faithful. And I, I really want to encourage all of us to be fearless as we serve Him in, in grace and truth in these last days. And that's what we're going to need. We're going to need some fearlessness, some, some, uh, some boldness, some courage, some bravery to just do what God's called us to do regardless of what the outcome will be. Aristarchus shows us what it's like to be a fearless man. And I hope that all of us decide that we're going to do right regardless of the outcome, regardless of the consequence, to do right. So Aristarchus, the first man mentioned here in this little passage, the first of the three mentioned in these two verses, shows us what it's like to be a fearless man. The second man mentioned here is Marcus. Uh, in verse number 10, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas. So Barnabas was Mark's, John Mark, or Marcus, uh, same, same individual. Uh, Barnabas was Mark, Marcus's uncle. All right, so, and uh, most of us know who this man is. I mean, he, uh, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark that we've been studying on Sunday mornings. 
And here, Marcus is mentioned in a positive light. And he also goes by the name of John Mark, as I mentioned. And I want to re- remind you, and, and Marcus is going to show us um, that he is the forgiven man. He's the forgiven man. So let's turn to Acts 13 real briefly here. Acts 13. And I want to remind us of his, kind of the beginning of his life, um, at least what, where the scripture picks up with his, his life. And we know that in Acts chapter 13, um, he ends up joining the first missionaries to be sent out. The first missionaries sent out were Paul and Barnabas. In verse number uh, 2, it says that they ministered in the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said to this church family, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. They had fasted and prayed. They laid their hands on them. They sent them away. And then uh, verse 4, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto uh, Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. When they were at Salmis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. Now this was not the Apostle John, this was John Mark, uh, or Marcus, uh, referred to here in Colossians. So John was their minister. John was kind of their assistant. He was there to kind of help out as best he could and just, you know, kind of be a, you know, hey, man, we need some lunch. Uh, John, Mark, would you go grab some lunch for us? Hey, could you go, you know, take care of our bills over there? And can you, you know, be our advance guy and go set up our tent over there? And, uh, you know, just to help them with whatever. Okay, well, so he joined them on the very first missionary journey. Well, verse 6, um, they gone through the isle and, uh, unto Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer. And then, um, let me go ahead and, uh, and, and skip through a lot of this here. Um, then we go to verse 13. Here it is. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where his home is, and that's where mommy is. And so, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't make it very clear exactly why John Mark bailed on this missionary journey, but he did. He went back home. He's like, you know what? Enough of this. I'm out of here. I'm going back home. I mean, I want my warm bed. I want my mama's cooking. I mean, she does my laundry. Um, I mean, I'm not sure all the reasons why he decided to leave. I mean, it did start getting a little, a little intense. The ministry did. And so he runs away. Well, then you fast forward to Acts chapter 15. Turn over to Acts 15 very quickly. And look in verse number 36. It says, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Barnabas said, hey, yeah, we're going to bring my nephew along. He's going to come back and join us again, and we're going to take him with us. Verse 38, Paul thought not good to take him with them. Paul's like, whoa, 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 time out. You, You said you're going to take Mark, John again, John Mark? Uh, No, sir we're doing the work of the Lord. We don't have time for, you know, quitters. 
people who want to go home to mommy. We don't have time for that. We, we've got things to accomplish. So Paul thought not good to take him with him and departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Verse 39, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark, sailed into Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, departed being recommended by the brethren of the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Sicilia, uh, confirming the churches. So Paul's like, no, 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 no. We're not bringing this guy with us. I mean, he is, I mean, I hate to break it to you, Barnabas, but your nephew's kind of a quitter and a loser. Like, he quit on us. He's a failure. Uh, we don't have time for that. This isn't a ministry to the workers here. We, we have a lot of other people that we have to minister, and I can't be worried about this guy wanting to go back home and having, uh, you know, his mommy's cooking. Uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta keep going forward. So that happened. And for at this point in Acts 15, at the end of it, Paul was done with Mark. But then now, uh, evidently, there was some maturity that took place in Mark's life to the point where Paul, in Colossians chapter 4, he asked the church at Colossae to receive him, that he was with Paul, and now he's sending him to the church there and asking them to receive him. And Mark had, a, had matured. He had shown himself faithful. And uh, Paul was now willing to recommend him. And then later in 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, he requests that Mark's company, uh, that, that Mark would accompany Timothy um, to come visit him while he's imprisoned, his second imprisonment, and gives the incredible compliment about uh, Mark that he is now profitable to me for the ministry. Wow. Beautiful story of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation after this sharp contention, after a very rough and dramatic moment in Mark's life. I mean, it, it doesn't say that he was right there hearing this in, in Acts chapter 15, but I can't help but maybe he did. Now, a couple quick thoughts for us tonight as we consider Marcus the forgiven man, right? My question for you is, are you a Marcus tonight? Are you one who maybe has failed and blown it, and maybe quit. Can I remind us what I, remind, what I shared with all of us this morning, that failure is not final? We saw that this morning in the life of Peter, that, hey, just because you've fallen doesn't mean that that uh, needs to define you for the rest of your life. You can get back up. You can get back on the saddle, and, and Mark evidently did. I mean, yeah, he blew it in Acts 13 when he went back home and he quit because of whatever, for whatever reason. But he got back in the ministry. He wanted to go with them in Acts 15. And Paul said, no, well, he did end up going with Barnabas. So he, he showed himself, and he got back on the saddle, even though, yeah, he had a bad experience back in Acts 13. So if you're a Marcus and you've blown it, get back on the saddle. Remember Solomon and what he said in Proverbs 24 and 16, where he says, A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. So get back up. There was one baseball player um, who set the major league record for strikeouts. And we're not talking about a pitcher. We're talking about a batter. 
This batter uh, set a major league record for strikeouts with 1,316 strikeouts. The same player set a record for five consecutive strikeouts in a World Series game. It kind of reminds me of the, uh, the Dallas Cowboy place kicker who missed four extra points in a playoff game this past season. That's quite a record that uh, may not be broken for a while. You're welcome for bringing that up, Cowboy fans. <laughs> um, but uh, so this player who set a record for most strikeouts and most strikeout, five consecutive strikeouts in a World Series game, but the holder of both records was the great slugger, Babe Ruth. Do you think he let those strikeouts cause him to say, well, I'm just a loser, evidently. No, he got, back on, he got back in the batter's box the next time up and tried again. And so if you have uh, fallen and, and failed, get back up. Mark did. Marcus was a forgiven man. A failure, someone said, uh, William Brown said, failure is an event, never a person. And I love that truth. Failure is an event, never a person. Uh, you may have fa failed, but that, that was a, an event in your life. That doesn't mean that you are a failure. See, big difference. Marcus could have beat, him, uh, beat himself up and said, I'm such a quitter. I'm no use for the work of God. I'm such a loser. I should just stop trying. But instead, he got back in the ministry and earned the reputation of someone who is profitable for the ministry. So maybe you're a Marcus tonight and you need to get back on the, in the saddle. Do that. But maybe you're a Paul tonight. One who had been hurt by somebody. One who someone failed you. Can I encourage you tonight to forgive them? To offer forgiveness and give them a second chance? To allow them back into your life and restore the relationship that once was. Now, I, I get that there may be some scenarios in your life that are much more intense than just someone leaving the ministry because it was a little too tough. But still, the instructions in the Scriptures are to forgive. And it doesn't say forgive unless it was super serious. Then you're off the hook. You don't need to forgive. Forgive only if they come groveling back on their knees and beg for forgiveness, then forgive. No, here's what the Scriptures say. Um, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And talk about serious crimes that have been forgiven. And your sin and mine were horrible crimes against the God of heaven, the holy God of heaven, and yet he was willing to forgive us. So, and I believe, by the way, that a big part of Mark becoming profitable for the ministry was Paul eventually allowing him to be profitable to the ministry. He gave him a spot. He gave him an opening, and he said, okay, we'll give you another shot. We'll give you another shot. Paul needed to forgive and move on and not harbor bitterness. Um, I, I read this uh, little story here about uh, Thomas Edison and the light bulb, okay? And this, I think, illustrates this thought very, very clearly. James Newton, in his book, Uncommon Friends, tells about Thomas Edison, who was working on a crazy contraption called a light bulb. All right, and it took a whole team of 20 a whole team of men, 24 straight hours to put just one of these light bulbs together. All right, and then 
The story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper. And this young boy nervously carried it up the stairs. Step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously uh, frightened of dropping such a priceless piece of work that took a team of men 24 straight hours to put together. Well, you probably guessed what happened by now. The poor young fellow dropped the bulb at the top of the stairs. What a blessing. It took the entire team of men 24 more hours to make yet another light bulb. Finally, tired and ready for a break, Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs. You know what, Thomas Edison? He gave it to the same young boy who dropped the first one. Gave him another chance. That's forgiveness. And is there somebody that you need to give the second light bulb to? Tonight, maybe somebody who hurt you a little bit. I would encourage you to offer forgiveness. Give them a second chance. And I'm not saying you need to continue a toxic relationship, put up with abuse over and over again. You know that's not what I'm saying. But you also shouldn't be eaten up and defiled by bitterness either. And instead, give somebody another chance. Paul did. And because of that, Marcus becomes the forgiven man. So Aristarchus, the fearless man, Marcus, the forgiven man. Thirdly and lastly here, Justice, the friendly man. Back in Colossians chapter number 4, verse number 11, it says, And Jesus, which is called Justice, now Jesus was actually a pretty common name back in those days. Uh, It's like when we were in, uh, we were living in Southern California, there were a lot of Jesuses, but they went by Jesuses. They were all Jesus. Uh, because we, we lived pretty close to Santa Ana, and there was a lot of Spanish-speaking uh, folks there in Santa Ana, and, and, and several people were named Jesus. Um, but uh, he, he was called Justice. That was kind of his a Roman name there. And uh, Justice becomes the, the, the friendly man. It goes on to say, These are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. So he was a fellow worker. Justice evidently labored with the Apostle Paul. We don't know to what extent. We don't know how, uh, what exactly he did here. But um, I, as best I could tell, I think this is the only time in Scripture he's mentioned. Um, and, and you might find another reference. I, I don't know. I didn't do a full study on that. But Justice here was a fellow worker. He was a fellow laborer with the Apostle Paul, and he advanced the kingdom of God. Now, no doubt Paul was thankful for that aspect of justice, that he was a fellow laborer. But most of all, I think he appreciated the fact that justice was a comfort unto him. Verse 11, it says at the end, which have been a comfort unto me. Now, he's referring to justice, and I believe Aristarchus and Marcus, these three who were a comfort unto him, but, but justice is, is mentioned in that as well. And I want to kind of focus on him and the fact that he was a comfort to the Apostle Paul. Justice was used by God to help provide comfort to the very great Apostle Paul. Because you see, even those who try to comfort and help others, like the Apostle Paul, need help and comfort themselves. Uh, Paul went around to these churches trying to help and comfort and to encourage and to be a blessing. And and it was great to have someone do that for him once in a while. 
And he appreciated justice who was willing to do that. The Apostle Paul was grateful for those who refreshed him in the Lord and comforted him. And this is a wonderful ministry for everyone to do. Look, you may not be able to sing worth a lick. Uh, that's me, by the way. And you may not be able to preach a sermon. That's also me. But yet, here I am uh, doing it um, to the best of my ability. Look, you may not be able to help with construction or do many things in the church that may be a little more high profile, but, but you can encourage someone. You, you can be a current comfort to those within our church family. And I want to encourage everybody to be an encouragement. And uh, to the teenagers tonight, um, I want to just encourage you uh, to look for ways to be an encouragement to Brother and Mrs. Rupel. Um, they are here um, not because they love Oklahoma so much. Okay, I'm sure they've come to love Oklahoma a little bit. But they're here because they want to be where God wants them to be, number one. But number two, they love you. And they want to be an encouragement and, and a help to you in your relationship with God and with your parents. And they have activities. They had one last night to try to help and to bless you. Guess what? They are people and they need encouragement too. And so I really want to encourage you to look for ways to take it upon yourself to try to comfort and encourage them and be a blessing to them. They're about to go through a time of transition in their life as they have a new little one, as their family begins to grow. And uh, this is an opportunity for you teenagers to encourage them and you know, the Apostle Paul appreciated it when uh, justice came along and really tried to be a comfort to them, to him. And, and I know that they always appreciate when you show that you appreciate them and, and try to comfort and encourage them. And then to our church family, let's look for those in our church who are going through a challenging time. The Apostle Paul was going through a difficult time at this moment of his life as he was in uh, under house arrest. He was in prison. It was an uncomfortable scenario. I mean, he was chained to two guards, and then they would, every six hours, change guards. Like, that would get annoying after a while. I mean, I'm chained to one guard every night um, named Julie. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I'm, I'm teasing about that. But, um, but the Apostle Paul was in a, a negative scenario, and, and here justice came and was a help to him and a, and a comfort to him. And that's just a sweet, a special, precious word there that he uses, uh, which have been a comfort unto me. So let's look for those going through a challenging time, going through a trial and a tribulation, and seek to be a comfort to them, especially if you've been through something similar. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, why? So that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So many times we are taken through trials and God comforts us so that when someone else in our life is going through a similar trial that we experienced, God can use us to be an encouragement and a help and a comfort to them. Um, there was a, a young man, uh, 15 years old, his name was Douglas Moore, and he was uh, he lived in uh, Missouri, or Missouri, however you say it. Um, but this this fifteen year old young man had been feeling bad for several days, 
His temperature was ranging between 103 and 105 degrees, and he was suffering from severe flu-like symptoms. Finally, his mother took him to the hospital in St. Louis. Douglas Morrow was diagnosed as having leukemia. The doctors told him in frank terms about his disease. They said that for the next three years, he would have to undergo chemotherapy. They didn't sugarcoat the side effects. They told Douglas he would go bald and that his body would most likely bloat. Upon learning this, he went into a deep depression. His aunt called a floral shop to send Douglas an arrangement of flowers. She told the clerk what it was, that it was for her teenage nephew who had leukemia. When the flowers arrived at the hospital, they were absolutely beautiful. Douglas read the card from his aunt. But then after he read that card, he read another card. There was another card, a second one there. And it said this, Douglas, I took your order. I work at Bricks Florist. I had leukemia when I was seven years old. I'm 22 years old now. Good luck. My heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura Bradley. And his face lit up. He said, oh, it's funny. Douglas Morrow was in a hospital filled with millions of dollars of the most sophisticated medical equipment. He was being treated by expert doctors and nurses with medical training totaling in the hundreds of years. But it was a sales clerk in a flower shop, a woman making $170 a week, who by taking the short amount of time to care and being willing to go with what her heart told her to do, gave Douglas hope and the will to carry on. It doesn't take much, brothers and sisters, to be an encouragement, but it can make a huge difference. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14, we're called here, Paul says, We exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, feeble support the weak, and be patient toward all men. One more quick illustration here. Once during Queen Victoria's reign, she heard that the wife of a common laborer had lost her baby. Having experienced deep sorrow herself, she felt moved to express her sympathy. So she called on the bereaved woman one day and spent some time with her. After she left, the neighbors all came by and wanted to know what the queen had said during her visit. Nothing, replied the grieving mother. She simply put her hands on mine, and we silently wept together. Again, does that cost a lot? A little time? A little care, a little concern? But remember, Cornerstone cares. And we ought to care for one another so much so that we're willing to comfort one another when we are going through difficult times like the Apostle Paul was going through. And here justice shows us what it's like to be a real friend, to come alongside and comfort those who are going through challenging scenarios. So we see Aristarchus, the fearless man. Let's learn to have a brave, courageous spirit as we serve the Lord. To not quit even though... Things don't always work out the way they, we want them to. And, and uh, sometimes um, as, as we serve the Lord, it's not going to always be, uh, everybody's going to always thank us for all that we do. Not everybody's going to thank you for knocking on their door. I mean, I've been door knocking here in, in Oklahoma for enough time that not everybody's super, super thrilled that we're there. Um, keep doing it. Be fearless. Aristarchus, the fearless man. Then Marcus. Let's learn uh, to get back up and learn to give others a second chance as we consider the forgiven man. And then from justice, the friendly man. Let's look for ways to encourage those around us to be a comfort to those going through difficult times. And let's.
pray together tonight. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and look at these three three men that there's not a lot mentioned uh, about some of them in the scripture, but yet what is said is speaks volumes. And God, I pray that although we may not have the biggest name here on earth, uh, Lord, may you use us, uh, Lord, to uh, be used of you for such a time as this. Uh, Lord, each of these men were instrumental in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. He accomplished much, but it wasn't, he didn't do it by himself. He had a whole host of people come alongside and participate. And God, I, I know that you want to use us as a, as a church family. And not one, just one individual. You, you want to use all of us. And each person needs to play their part and to do their, fulfill their responsibilities. Help us, Lord, to be fearless as Aristarchus was. Help us, Lord, uh, to uh, be willing to get back up when we've fallen like Mark did. And help us, like Paul, to be willing to give Mark a second chance. And then, with justice, Lord, help us to look for those in our church who are going through challenging scenarios. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to comfort them. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a, a place where we truly care for one another. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.